you thought you saw the best of the best when you saw Ryan Seacrest and Jason Kennedy and all these so-called male reporters. Well, yeah, you don't know shit because we're talking to the best of the best, the vets, the royalty. And we do not mean Trevor Noah. No, we mean the Scott Huber. We mean the Alex Kramer. They don't need any more introduction. They are the best of the best in this biz. They've been doing this since me and Taylor were in the womb. Just kidding, you guys are down. (laughs) I was in high school, like, kissing boys behind the football field and trying to get into college. Scott was hanging out with Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion. No. So that's the team. So guys, obviously we're pretty fucked and you guys have been around <laughs> the block. So bleak right away. Let's yeah. get into it. You guys have been around the block and then some. So really quickly, what is your view of where red carpet world reporting has been? Because from both of your stories, you've told us that it used to be Liddy, like all the titties and it's been shit. We know this for the last few years. It so- used to be you can go to the Palm Springs Film Festival and get an interview with Angelina Jolie. And now it's like, if you get Jennifer Lopez to tell you where her dress is from it's a win so here we are so what do you guys feel like what you've seen where it's been and where we're going which is like Black Mirror basically it's changed so much in the last I've been doing this entertainment reporting specifically since 2001 if you went to the premiere of a movie starring Tom Cruise and you were on that red carpet line you were pretty much guaranteed you were gonna at least talk to Tom Cruise now you get a bunch of randoms that are invitees because the studios owned by the you know same company that owns a the network. bachelor. Yeah, and to pick up little bits and pieces, like you said, maybe a throwaway quote as somebody goes buzzing into the theater. It's it's really more for show these days than anything else, other than if you're with Entertainment Tonight, E, or, you know. And tell us about, like, playing the game. Like, if you see someone who is the composer of one song in the movie during the credits, and the publicist also happens to represent Tom Cruise, (sighs) what happens? That doesn't really work to your advantage the way you might think it does. Usually the guy with the composer, he's pushing that composer very hard. He's right up in your face. And then even if you take him, you're still not getting Tom Cruise. There's no one for me or one for you. It's just all for them. And whatever crumbs you can scoop up, you're just kind of grateful for. So many publicists have gotten really aggressive about pushing their people in front of you, even when you've said no. (laughs) Like, they just, they won't take no for an answer. And they throw this person that you don't need to spend three minutes having a conversation with. It's not going to go anywhere. You don't know anything about them. And so many people have gotten tricky where they'll be like, oh, my client's in the movie. You don't know that they're in the movie for 30 seconds. Make eye contact with somebody for half a second. All of a sudden you're interviewing Tom Cruise's understudy. And that's just what happens. So whenever somebody walks by, I'm really good about being like, I am reading the most fascinating email and I just don't have time for anything else because this is an urgent situation. Please take the person who sings a song and is an extra in one scene that's five seconds long and got cut away from me. Obviously, this is like shaking up our business now with Miss Rona coming in. They are literally saying red carpets are basically done. And on our show, we try to talk to people who don't get it. We're talking to Sally in Arkansas. We're talking to Becca in Minnesota who don't understand our world. So what I find fascinating, and we talk about this all the time, like we cover these red carpet premieres to promote these people's movies, to promote their faces, to promote their shows, and they shit on us like Sasquatch. So is this whole thing the shakeup we need? Are they going to start appreciating us now going forward? Or is this going to be more of like a fuck you to us doing press? 
probably more of a fuck you, I think. What I think will happen is that they'll try to develop their own technique. What they really want is to take us out of the equation as much as possible. Netflix wants to produce their content on the Netflix Twitter and the Netflix Instagram and all through their channels. So this might be the opportunity for them to figure out how to live without us. And they'll do an interview with Vogue or an interview with, yes. like, you know, the New York Times and they'll get their press they need. It'll be covered anyway. You've seen these celebrities getting freaky on Instagram during the pandemic because they can't stand the lack of attention. They are going to want to have any spotlight that they can grab if we're allowed anywhere near them. The other thing is, is having lived through what happened with September 11th, the public, by the time things get to some semblance of normal, just like September 11th, there's going to be a hunger for that celebrity lifestyle stuff. The relationships and the romances and the babies and that's what made Paris Hilton a star. That's what made all these reality people a star in the, in the wake of September 11th. All of the, you know, Oscar and Emmy caliber actors were like at a plateau where they said, okay, we can kind of skip by these people. But Paris Hilton was glad to walk right up and start chatting with me. Kim Kardashian was, wow. was glad to do that. So I think that there will still be an appetite for the public for that material. And there'll be a level of celebrity that's hungry to fill it once there's a vaccine. <laughs> Did you see the Hollywood Reporter story this morning that really broke down like, yeah, exactly what it could look like. Basically us being in like plastic tanks floating in the abyss and suddenly no. you're on Mars and someone's on Saturn and you'll like maybe cross paths for a second. They said they're gonna get rid of celebrity entourages. I mean, cause that means you can't flag someone down. You can't flag someone's publicist and rearrange things. It'll basically give them full control to decide who gets to interview their talent, like being veteran yeah. reporters, what's your take on that? Is it likely that we'll see a red carpet where, like restaurants, it'll be so split up. We're no longer sandwiched together like sardines. This is what I've been thinking about, particularly for big A-list talent. If you're Tom Cruise or you're Will Smith, at what point do you want to go back to a carpet? You have everything to lose, and you don't really gain that much. There's already been press junkets, feature interviews in the New York Times. We're really the bottom rung of this ladder, you know? I think a big part of this is when do celebrities themselves feel comfortable going onto a carpet? And I would guess that's not for a year. Big red carpet premieres, you could argue like middle America, they don't care. It's really for us and it's like a party for them. It's a tradition in Hollywood. Who wants to put themselves at risk? Does the studio want to insist that a celebrity show up at a premiere and then be responsible for them if they get actually sick? I don't think anybody wants to take that risk as, as much as they like the optics of the premiere. I'd like to go back to do my my job, but I'm not in any rush to, to be squished in and face-to-face and -face with, you know, a hundred different people. People always say to us, oh my God, like we want to do what you do. We want to be on E. We'll talk about how, like with gender, how it, like this may or may not be like other industries, but how we can use it to our advantage. So like when we're interviewing male celebrities, we may get more out of them. And then we find if you guys or our other reporter friend Regan is interviewing a female, they're all butter up to you and we'll ask the same thing and they'll shit on us. So can you talk about a time when this like worked to your advantage or when you experience this in any way? Give the people a little flavor. My experience was a little bit opposite, actually. I remember one time I went to a makeup reveal party. Shut up. Yes, well, that was exactly it. The room was full of Instagram influencers. I don't remember their names, but people who were from YouTube. And they showed up looking fabulous, and I slumped in there with my J. Crew buttoned up in some jeans. And Ava couldn't get over it. She couldn't stop trash-talking me a little bit. Wait, who couldn't stop trash-talking you? That was Ava Mendez. Ava Mendez. Oh, what did God. she say? She was just, like, baffled. 
because everyone there was very fabulous and into the makeup scene. And they came prepared. They knew this was a moment that was going to go big on their IG. And I just showed up like I always do. And she couldn't stop laughing. I would try to ask her questions. And she was like, why are you here? What are you doing here? She was joking about it and being friendly, but it was just a very awkward dynamic. Who do you know here? Oh, (laughs) that's intense. Sometimes I think I'm a better actor than anybody I'm talking to, to be able to pretend I'm interested (laughs) in this stuff. Accurate. Suddenly, like, their trip to Hawaii with their three nannies and their one kid is better than (laughs) sex. Like, it's incredible. The flirtation thing, well, you definitely see how dynamics shift between male, female reporters, between straight and gay reporters and celebrities. It's a whole thing. As you guys know, you're doing a, basically a four minute speed date at best when you talk to somebody on a red carpet and you have to pick up right away what that dynamics is going to be. You go in any direction that's going to get you the answers you need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Has any female celeb really flirted with you guys or were you actually like texted with each other or called or like had a little thing and you were like, I did not see it going there, but I'm going to take this journey. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, should it have happened? Events actually are, well, before I was married, of course, actually a pretty good place to meet people. As far as the celebrities go, I mean, it's a job. They're basically at work and they're just trying to get in, get out. Scott? When I started doing this, it was definitely more of a, of a party vibe to everything and it's like if you were invited to the party you were you were cool you were okay like even with with the celebrities i'll never forget it it's so weird An actress like at the time like fairly fairly well known on television i'm not gonna get into too many details we talked about going out and then she invited me to a music kind of show that she was branching out and doing something so i went and she was there and it's a tiny it was a tiny little showroom and she acted like she didn't know me. Oh, and snap. Like, clearly knew, like, I could see recognition in her eyes, but she never really, like, made a moment to talk or to, you know, anything. But she invited me there, and we'd, always, we'd constantly been talking about doing something, you know, together. And so I'm like, well, that was super strange, but okay. And then I, I was in charge of sending out other reporters as well, and I sent out a crew, a video crew, to something that she was at, and on camera to the reporter that I sent apologized to me because she was in character for her show. Shut and up. And her character wouldn't know me. I quit. <laughs> that is Hollywood <laughs> in a nutshell. That was, that was my in- initiation of the, the no headshots dating rule. <laughs> well, uh-huh. on the opposite side of the spectrum, we Taylor and I were talking about how we each have like funny stories of you about like, when it hasn't, when it has gone south and it hasn't been all hunky dory, wink, wink. And yeah, one that came to mind was me and Alex were covering the EMA, Environmental Media Association Gala, where they literally will throw on events a million times a year to remind you that it's important to save the world. And here's Lance Bass, he's going to tell you why. And at this event, Nikki Reed always shows up. And Alex, I don't know if you remember this, but it's just like, it will always be in my heart and soul. Um... At this event, we were interviewing Nikki Reed, and you brought up if she would ever do a Twilight reunion, or no, a, a Vampire Diaries reunion. And she insisted that she wasn't in the Vampire Diaries, and you and Abby were like, yeah, you were. And she was actually in Twilight, but her husband was in the Vampire Diaries. 
So and she, yeah. So how did that go, Alex? She shit on you guys. Oh, look, it happens. I mean, there's a lot of celebrities. There's a lot of shows. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of vampires. You just swing and you miss, and you have to live with that. I want to say one more thing about Nikki Reed. Based on what Scott was saying, how, like, you need to try to find the headline. I was interviewing her later that night, and I was trying to throw in a parenting quote, and she's very, like, never talks about her kids. And I asked her, like, oh, like, do you want them to enter the industry? And she said, I want them to be farmers. So that's the angle I took. I ran with it. And that's the T. That was the headline. So you do what you have to do. Have you guys had it work in reverse where you truly know nothing about that celebrity or their project? You fake it just well enough that they walk away thinking you're like a super fan and have your own blog about the Vampire Diaries. Like, I, I love when that happens. I hate having those conversations. But when I when I pick up that they think that I know what I'm talking about... It kills me. That's like so much fun. My trick for that is at a premiere or something, you interview the lesser actors and you just start talking to them and asking general questions and using that, you build up this baseline of knowledge so that by the time the big celebrities get there, you do sound like you've actually seen the movie. And with with the Nikki Reed thing, I think it speaks to, because Emily was telling me, Alex, how she did not throw you a fucking bone. Like, she wasn't even like, oh, I think you're thinking of Twilight or, like, anything to, like, help you out. Like, she just was like, nope, don't recall. No, I wasn't in that show. And I think it sort of speaks to how, just the general atmosphere of how we, it was such a, like, thing of them shitting on us. To a degree, but also I think that if you're in those big franchises, what's what's the one with Jennifer Lawrence, um, Mockingbird, uh, uh, Hunger Games. Mockingbird! They get so bombarded wherever they go. It's not just at the premiere. Every event they go to, they get asked questions about whatever their franchise is, whether it's Twilight, whether it's Hunger Games, whether it's anything else. And I think it gets to a point where they just get so sick of it that they're just not going to help you in any way because they have zero interest in this topic. A perfect example is the Luke Hemsworth thing at the Westworld premiere. (laughs) When I asked him a totally harmless question about, you know... You know, I said it might ruffle some feathers in the family, but like which of your brothers is more fun to go out on a double date with? And he literally walked away from me. And Scott, you and I would like look at each other and just roll our eyes and be like, really? And this happens so much. I mean, can you, I know they're a dime a dozen, but what is your take on them just being so flippant? I mean, what is it always like that? And can you remember a time when it happened to you and you were like, are you joking? That stuff is pretty common. Like, I feel like, you know, I'd seen that happen a million times before. What was weird about that one with you is that I feel like he actually was thinking about answering the question. He was. And he decided he was probably going to get in trouble if he did. So (laughs) he just walked off. I had one like that that was so weird. It was Jerry Bruckheimer was getting um, his hands and and footprints at the Chinese theater during a premiere for The Prince of Persia. It was like Tom Cruise and Nicolas Cage and like, Bruce Willis, just like every A-lister that worked with him. But then some people that had been consistently employed by him over the years. And one of them was Judge Reinhold, which I don't know if you guys are even old enough to know who Judge Reinhold is. But he was in like all the Beverly Hills Cop movies. He had a career in the 80s for a while. He's still around. And we were having this perfectly pleasant conversation. And I said something and he wasn't mad. He just was like, I got to go. And just bailed. Good talk. And it was at such one of those sparse moments on the carpet where hardly anything's happening. Everybody else on the red carpet saw it happen. And for the rest of the night, all I'm getting is like people coming up or texting me like, what'd you say to him? What'd you say to him? I'm like, nothing. 
Literally nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. That was so weird. I once asked Leah Michelle if she took a souvenir from the set of Glee right when the finale happened. And she stamped her foot down, turned around, and ran off angrily. To this day, I do not know what I triggered with that question. The answer to that question is yes. Yeah. I didn't ask if she stole it. I just asked if she took like some little cup holder or something or her little souvenir. And she acted like, like I was interrogating her. She acted like you just like tore up Cory Monty's gravesite. To be fair, she basically acted like Leah Michelle. <laughs> what do you guys think? Because Scott, you and I have talked about this and I will believe this until Corona takes me out. I feel like there is such a difference between interviewing musicians and actors. I always prefer talking to actors because I feel like musicians are just so like, they take it so personally or, and are in their heads and their crafts. Whereas actors, like they play the part, they move on. Like, I feel like it's so easy to offend a musician more so funny enough, like given this conversation than an actor. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, actors are used to playing roles, right? That's their whole job. On the carpet, you're not re- meeting the real person. You're meeting their their media personality. So they're just like, I'm doing another role. And musicians are so about being in their head. And so part of that is they show us disdain. And like, oh, I don't understand. I don't get your question. They're so on such a higher plane that they can't even be bothered with the question. Right. You know, actors are, are students of human behavior. And even the weirdest ones can emulate it pretty good. So you can have a conversation with them, but rock rock stars and musicians are like all about mystique and they communicate through music because they don't communicate very well on regular human terms sometimes. And they're in their own head and totally. they're, they're, you're supposed to want to be cool like them. They're not supposed yeah. to please you, you know, unless they're on stage performing. So it's a whole, it's a whole different mindset, even though they're both creative types they're it's, it's two different planets that they come from. Totally. Scott, tell us like a, the glory of spending time at the Playboy Mansion because you have done that and maybe a misconception to the peasants like us who will never sadly go about being there. The, the Playboy Mansion was such, a, such an interesting place and so many different experiences, different times I was there. And I'll say the first time I went was like, mid nineties, fresh off the boat to LA, working for a newspaper in Beverly Hills and went to interview the the guy who tended to all the animals. Cause there was just monkeys and rabbits and all kinds of birds on the grounds. And my first encounter with the Playboy Mansion was not at all what your fantasy of it was. It was like Hef's then wife, Kimberly, and the kids were like playing on the lawn, just a bunch of animals, just, you know, very, beautiful sort of tranquil setting and i'm like well this isn't what i signed up right like hopscotch (laughs) yes then you know i went a few more times and they would be for like official playboy events like playmate of the year and those things would be sexy but not crazy every year half would do like a um a big haunted house like you know not scary farm level haunted house right there on the property because he loved halloween so much and so the night before his big halloween party he'd have the media up and you could tour it and shoot it. And, you know, they'd have playmates there to be tour guides for you. That stuff was fun. But again, not the crazy stuff. And so I kind of went in stages. And then I finally went for some crazy parties. Two different kinds. There was like the kind where somebody would rent the mansion and throw their own party there. And those people would go 
buck wild they paid for the privilege to be there (laughs) and so the bucato would be like you know half naked women and drugs everywhere and just like but also still on this weirdly not epic scale like you would think of as the as a playboy party then i went to a couple of regular playboy parties and that was the epic scale everything you imagine that it was it was and just an experience to be had and you know those days were tapering off because half was getting older and it was just kind of at the last gasp of the the girls next door period that was the sort of revival of the playboy brand for a bit and then you know half moved on and kind of settled down and got older and that was you know that, that was that was a really cool time and then my last time up there was to to talk to half and spent like half had a half had a series of books cuz he's a huge like scrapbook booker his whole life and he they published a bunch of coffee table books and they told me cuz half was getting older they told me like plan on maybe 10 minutes with him but they'll like feel it out like just they'll follow half's lead because Hef knew that I was such a student of Playboy, we were there for a solid <laughs> hour. Oh my, oh, we all. oh my god! A student of Playboy, I love that. And we were just hanging out in the in the main like um, sort of Hef's den, full on pajamas, <laughs> you know, full on robe, and just hanging out with Hef. And that was that was the last quality time I spent up there. Um, but it was it was the best. You know. I feel like we will, well, clearly now we won't, but even when Emily and I started, we will never have experienced the glory days of kind of what you're saying. And like when after parties were actual after parties, like you would go to an after party now and it would be maybe one or two celebrities from the movie who would literally in a revolving door walk in the party, out the party, like so lame. They'd be like, woohoo, the after party to blah, blah, blah premiere. They'd have some food passed around, some cocktails, but nothing happened. You know what I mean? So like- If you're, if you're an established actor, or for that matter, one of us, it's, it's like this. It's like, how much more time do I have to spend here? The only time you ever see big, big parties is when it's somebody's big breakout movie. And it's clearly like somebody's become a star. Which- and enjoying it so fucked up that they are like how much time do i have to spend here because remember we're here for you motherfuckers to promote your thing so knock it off i mean the problem is i think cell phones killed the after party right because as soon as you could take pictures of everything that was happening they buttoned up real quick so there's the official after party which is where we go and then there's a the real party that's happening at jay-z's house i was just gonna say where, that yeah because like shots of vermont oscar sitch where it's like unless you're gonna like dress up in a full-on waiter costume and sit inside the bathroom for 38 hours, you're not getting in. Exactly. The cell phone killed the nightlife that you guys grew up reading about, I'm sure, with like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan, which was in full swing every night. Every night there was a different club to go to. That's just gone. That doesn't exist anymore. The Golden Globes was the most fun of all the award shows because everybody stayed at the Hilton. Yeah. But they partied and it wasn't, the parties weren't for like 300 sponsors to show up and drink all night. It was for the celebrities and that's just gone. Like they go to these parties, except for InStyle, they go to these parties for like an hour after the Globes and then they go, there's agency parties offsite and everybody just takes off and goes there because there's not going to be a zillion cell phones or a bunch of people asking for selfies. In the good old days, what's some stuff you guys would see? You know, it's just the concentration of celebrities. Like Scott was saying, I remember my first Golden Globes party. I saw Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert Pattinson, Bradley Cooper, Kobe Bryant, Jennifer Lopez. 
Like, if a bomb had gone off in this tent, Hollywood would have been dead. I've never seen that many A-listers together in just one concentrated pack. If you're lucky, you get one, and that's it. Even at private parties, where maybe they snuck you in or it's at somebody's house, they're still kind of aware you're there. The debauchery, it, it hasn't gone away, but it's gone much further underground. I've seen, right, like, you know, open open drug use, like, sure. open hookups. Like, you don't see that stuff anymore because everybody's so careful. With A-listers and with, like, real celebrities, like, they, they, like, can feel like they're being watched. But it's funny because on the other side of the spectrum with reality stars who are always an easy get on red carpets and at events, it's like they want to be watched. Like, we've seen some reality stars doing drugs in front of our faces. Like, mm-hmm. they know to keep the interest and to keep the intrigue that middle America and even people on, like, the West Coast and the East Coast have with them. They basically have to live that role on and off the screen. So it's such a staunch difference, really. I remember... Like, to give you a sense of how different it was, I had met Lindsay Lohan a few times when she was just a kid, but she was kind of starting to have her moment. And she was always, you know, one of the classic Hollywood kid, very well-trained on how to talk to people, very polite, very sweet, and clearly very talented. And I remember going to a party, it was like a listening party for a Janet Jackson album coming out. And Lindsay was there and it was like, just watching her behavior, I was like, oh no, this kid has like fallen into all of it and she's not going to be the same. And then she became the Lindsay Lohan that we all know from, you know. Amanda Bynes too was another one that stands out to me as someone who was so cute and she's the man. And now she's like faking pregnancies left and right in and out of rehab. Like, it's just so sad that even for me, like these people I idolize. I would never have guessed from encountering her at the time of kind of the height of her stardom that this was where she'd end up that never would have occurred to me because she was another one just perfectly yeah. well-behaved sweet. knew how to conduct herself you know you just wouldn't think of it but there you go <laughs> I think we're gonna run out of time and before we do I want to ask you guys about moving forward but I believe there's a Daniel Craig story Emily you were oh. talking about before we go <laughs> well I just wanted to like share like another kind of carpet dynamic which I think all of us are familiar with like when you do group interviews you always have to play good cop, bad cop, right? (laughs) And you have to like feel out the dynamic. So at the Knives Out premiere in November, I remember Daniel Craig was going down the carpet. Kramer, I don't know if you remember this, but like (laughs) his, his rep literally went to all the big outlets, then skipped Vanity Fair, THR, and Us Weekly, and then went to like online with so-and-so that has like 300 subscribers. And we're like, what the fuck? So I tackled her and I said, like, we need we need to get her back, even if for a minute. So he came back and then we had like a little situation going. I was going to go in with the like relatable love life shit. And then Kramer was going to tackle like immigration. Key Donald Trump quote. We got that key like immigration quote. And then I just threw in, you know, like, how are you doing? You must be so tired with the new kid. Oh, I'm exhausted. Headline. So it's like, you just got to play it out. You just got to feel out whatever you can. Like even that one little buzzword, like will make a headline. Like they will rasp at strings these days. When you used to get exclusives of Hef for an hour, now Daniel Craig tells you he's exhausted. You've won the lottery. So it's How many times does it happen the opposite way though, where you're like, he'll go on and on about, you know, politics, uh-huh. or not him in particular, but like a star will yeah. go on about super sensitive topics and then you're like oh so how how are things you and your wife plan any getaways together i'm not answering that exactly (laughs) exactly so sometimes it doesn't work out but other times like 
you just gotta, I mean, I honestly feel like we're secret agents or like political consultants where we just like change our perspective immediately. We can shift around. We're literally crisis managers. So props to us, y'all. It is a skill like that you either have or you don't have. Like you can learn it and get better at it for sure. But how many times have you seen people thrown to, you know, reporters, young reporters thrown to the wolves by being put on a red carpet for the first time or the first 10 times and they just don't have the facility to adapt. But hey, go work for Ian. You can ask about so-and-so shoes all fucking day long. Go ahead, like have a ball. Um, Before we let you guys go, because we miss you, we could talk to you all day long. I miss like being on your shoulders on crowded red carpets. Obviously you guys have been doing this so long. You've seen so much. So now that we're completely, our industry is turned upside down with coronavirus. Ideally, what would this whole thing look like for both of you moving forward? I wouldn't mind seeing the herd thinned a little bit. There's maybe a couple dozen, and that's being generous, uh, legitimate outlets. As far as E and magazines and different people who really have an audience or something to say. And then there's a lot of random personal blogs and like people with a podcast that's two weeks old. Not you guys, of course, but just people who kind of hustled their way onto the carpet and have nothing legitimate to say, yet somehow are able to monopolize the A-list talent for five minutes. It's unreal how it always happens that way. We can all think of some people who I won't name, but who have zero audience. I literally want to scream it to the rooftops. Let's just let this one go because we'll probably see this person again. They'll probably be back on the carpet before we are. We all kind of have our different other gigs that we do in entertainment besides red carpets. I've been doing them for a long time. And I've said over and over, like, when when the person's in front of me and I'm having the conversation, that's great. Yeah. The rest of it's turned into a complete shit show, shit shit circus, really. Yeah. And that that's what I would like to see addressed, and and actually have them become functional again, and not just not just these big extravaganzas that are that are yeah. there to to show this scale, but actually to let us do some good work, let the yeah. celebrities have some quality interactions with with the press. That's what I'd like to see come of it. I was agreeing with Scott. It would be great to get back to quality over quantity. This could humanize us and realize, like, look, even though some of us are, like, quarantining, like, you know, on our own private islands in Jamaica with five nannies and some of us aren't, I think to some degree, like, no one is immune to what's happened. It's affected us all in different ways. Like, celebrities, no matter how annoying they can get, they're still not working, too. Like, everybody has had to adapt to this. Everybody has suddenly become... Instagram live entrepreneurs like we all have to kind of work with the times and digitally strategize so maybe this will kind of set us all back and have like a come to Jesus moment moving forward and for me it's sad because I know we've complained about how red carpets have been a shit show and pointless and people argue like outside of Los Angeles no one cares about red carpets it's just like Scott what you were saying before like really the hoopla and the spectacle of it all but with that said, I don't know, like, that's why I got into this business, the sit down, the face to face, the interaction and the idea of doing it all through Zoom or not having carpets. It makes me sad. It's it's true. I, there's there's the adrenaline rush of being there and Definitely. being in the moment. When you go to a premiere, like like the premiere of a, one of the Marvel movies or when you go to the Academy Awards, there's like a sense of history. Totally. That you're yeah. a part of. Yeah. It ties it all together. It makes all those annoying moments worth it. That's always for me. I look forward to award season because when I'm there sitting in the audience, like doing the damn thing, getting what I need. And it's like, you made it here. Congratulations. And it, it is a thrill for sure. And it's sad to think like the Emmys coming up in September is kind of on everybody's mind because are we going to do checkered seating? Is there not that award show carpets are cramped because you have people all over the world, mm-hmm. not just local press. So, I mean, the Hollywood reporter story kind of covers that a little bit. 
what that's going to look like. And I know that ABC is having tons of conversations with the academy, like with the television mm -hmm. academy, trying to figure that out because I don't know, you guys have been doing this a lot longer. You've, you've maybe seen crisis and how we overcome that. I have no idea how this could possibly play out. The only comparison I have is 9-11 and that was, that was more of a mental state than an actual need for physical distance. And, and heightened security, dramatic, the scale of that the security went up and stayed at that level and only tapered down a little bit. This one, I, I mean, I feel like once hopefully there's, there's a vaccine and we don't have to always have the physical distance, I think things will go back to a normal sense of operation and physical closeness. But I don't know how we go from, from here to there until that yeah. time. Yeah. I just don't know how. I, I, can't, I, I can't conceive of an Emmys that's going to mean anything to the participants, mm. you know, to like oh, sit in like this weird checkerboard, you know, to even want to go. It seems, right. it seems very strange to me. I think it'll be tough in the short term, particularly for things that are coming up pretty soon, like the Emmys. But I also have a certain amount of faith in our adaptability. And I think people still want to do this, even though we constantly talk about how useless it is. And I think there will be a way. It'll be smaller carpets. It'll be social distancing. Maybe we'll talk to them through a screen like we're at a bank. I mean, production is going to be ramping up again within a month or two. Hollywood is already talking about how they're going to start making movies, how they're going to start doing stuff. And the entire ecosystem that goes along with that, it's not going to go away. And we won't all make it, but it will be a thing. It'll still exist. Until, like Scott says, we get a vaccine and we can get back to actually being shoulder to shoulder and three inches away from Ben Affleck's mouth while he talks about rehab. I hope we can be rubbing shoulders, being shit on by people, ASAP. Make journalism great again. I'm going to get one of those big bubble boy suits. Alex, really quick before we go, remember that event you and I covered and it was literally like in a side alley and we were there for hours and David Foster was performing and I'll never forget this. Like it literally felt like purgatory and out loud, like David Foster was like one more song. And Alex is like, I want to go home. To be fair, it was in like a tiny little club. And once we got through this long ass carpet, there was no place to sit in the club. So we were on our feet for like four or five hours and it was ridiculous. And, you know, we did get to hear uh, Ray Parker Jr. do Ghostbusters, apropos of nothing. I like how our gigs can literally be at something like the Playboy Mansion or a closet. A parking lot. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We miss you. Can't wait to get back out there. And maybe this is our opportunity to, like, make shit happen and change it and... I don't know, innovate what's going on and not go back to the same old shit, you know? Yeah, I love that. I'm going to be the new version of the reality stars that rise after all this. That's right. Scott in paradise. Bachelor <laughs> spinoff. You heard it here first. Zoom dating. Here we go.